Welcome. This is Lee Henson Hasty. I'm uh, the Senior Director of Theological Education Funds Development with the Presbyterian Foundation. That's a ministry of the Committee on Theological Education. And I'm your host here with Leading Theologically with one of my good friends, favorite leaders who clearly leads theologically as the president of the, the Board of Pensions, among other roles he's played, um, Reverend Doctor, and I like to say Doctor Frank uh, Clark Spencer. Thanks for being here today, Frank. Lee, it's great to be here with you. I look forward to having some interesting conversations. I do too. There, there's a lot of territory we could cover, y'all, and I'll, I'll try to cut all the personal stuff out. But um, please get to know Frank. We'll, we'll put in there a, a link actually to his bio, so you can get to know him at, at pensions.org and um, links to some of his sermons. He's a graduate of. Um, David's no, the University of North Carolina. There's connections to Davidson. Very much um, so. And, and Davidson College Presbyterian Church. But uh, I know where some of your call to ministry story is from. But a graduate of the University of North Carolina, uh, a Tar Heel, and also uh, a graduate of Harvard uh, Business School, um, as well as a proud graduate with two degrees now from Union Presbyterian Seminary and focused, I think you were kind of your home campus, Charlotte, the Charlotte campus. Very much so, um, yes. For your MDiv and your doctor of ministry. Um, uh, so many so many things we could say. He was the uh, president of Habitat for Humanity. He was um, in the healthcare uh, real estate business. Um, Frank just brings a lot of expertise to this conversation. Hope amid change is our theme today. And I think you're going to see that hope really fast. Everybody's talking about change, Frank. So I'm glad you're talking about hope. Um, <laughs> and um, as we move to that, I think people will see that in the joy in your face and your story and your call. So I wonder, as Howard Thurman used to say, what is making you come alive? Or as maybe one of your professors, um, God rest her soul, Katie Geneva Cannon, what is the work your soul must have? So for me, there have always been three elements beyond family uh, that have driven me and been a part of everything I've done. Um, part of that is the church. Uh, mm. I've grown up in the church. I've dedicated a lot of my life to the church in a lot of different ways and a lot of different ministries. Um, that's clearly a part of my role now. Um, but the other parts that have been uh, important to me are community engagement, whether it is through United Way, through Habitat, as you mentioned. Um, I've been uh, on, a, on Boy Scouts Council, mm. Charlotte Housing Authority. I've been an advocate for affordable housing uh, in lots of venues. Um, and, but the third element, has been my career in finance and using financial resources to advance those ministries, to advance job creation for communities, to advance affordable housing, particularly in Charlotte, but also I've consulted here uh, in Philadelphia. So um, all of those things uh, have been a part of what I've done. And so I view that as three elements. Um, and this job provides the opportunity for all three of those to be prominent. Well, it's clear your call to the work of the Board of Pensions, and you've said it so well. I love those 
sort of a three-legged stool, you know, um, probably you don't want one without, you don't want the church without community engagement or finance without the church, right? You probably want exactly. them all. <laughs> They're all stand together. Um, and it's just real clear how your call comes together and what a difference you're making. Um, it's, it's a real gift. Um, I, I'd love to talk a little bit about that finance side because this is part of sort of your analysis. Um, actually, you probably know, I think you do know, my wife wrote a book around, um, you know, economics as a theological discipline. And I think that's sort of what you're saying. You're you're incorporating your kind of, you, you think about finance theologically as well, right? Budgets are, budgets are theological statements, I guess you would say. They are. And in fact, one of the things we say here at the board is that um, we believe in theology and we believe in economics because both influence behavior. Right. And um, so when we talk about that, we say that um, the economics can never define our values. Mm. However, mm. the economics must always inform our stewardship. Okay. Uh, economics, economics inform our stewardship. Um, so, and I know you're following and you're doing a great job. If y'all don't know about uh, living by the gospel, we probably should post that link and we will, um, uh, later, if not during the show, um, it's an annual report. The general assembly asked the, the board and the, I, I'll just be, be really clear. You suggested the, the general assembly have you report this, uh, annually, uh, really great document. You're, you're verifying statistical information on the denomination. You're looking at things. So what do you see? What do you, what, what are you really noticing? You know, I, Barbara Brown Taylor used to say, like when she does exegesis, she looks for the, the kind of uh, splinter, you know, what are the splinters when you look across those, all the volumes of statistics I know you look at? Yeah. So um, I think there are lots of things we know intuitively about the church. Mm -hmm. um, we know that, um, that, that call and vocation is not, equal or fair necessarily across the church. We know that congregations um, are having dwindling pastoral leadership. We know that um, communities of color often suffer more than um, the majority congregations for all sorts of reasons. What's interesting about the data though, is it begins to let us actually address those problems. Mm. So the board undertook several years ago and has continued creating the largest uh, database on vocation in the PCUSA. We, we have tracked every ordination from 2007 through 2022. So we have 15 years of data. We know exactly how many people have been ordained. We know their gender. We know uh, what role they took. Uh, we know whether or not they got benefits from the board of pensions. And the splinters that I start to see, Lee, um, one, you've pointed out many times, we have about 500 ministers a year retiring. Mm. We're now ordaining as a denomination fewer than 200 a year. Mm -hmm. Now that more or less lines up with the number of churches that are closing. Mm -hmm. But as you and I have discussed in other forums, it's a it's a distribution problem. Right. We, we can't necessarily get 
the seminary graduates to the right calls. Right. Um, but the splinters that we see in our data, let me just share a couple with you. Okay. We have a we have a huge gender gap. Mm. So we have ordained as a denomination since 2007, uh, just over 4,000 new members, new ministers mm -hmm. of that group, about 30 percent, 1170 approximately have never gotten any benefits whatsoever from the board wow. of pensions. Wow. Um, I think that's a travesty. I think yeah. that's a failure on the part of the church. We have presbyteries approving calls with no benefits. We have congregations circumventing um, our polity um, mm -hmm. to avoid paying the board of pensions. And it works an ill on those who don't get uh, that access to those benefits. What What is the makeup of that group? Mm -hmm. it, it won't surprise many of your listeners today about um, 62% are women. Wow. Wow. The other thing it shows us on the gender gap, when I look at um, total um, pay for ministers mm -hmm. and we've, we've in the report you mentioned, we do it by congregation size, by age, by role, um, all across the board men are paid more than women. Mm. Men are more likely to get benefits than women. Right. In a study that we did with the um, National Black Presbyterian Caucus, um, we determined that only 20% of their member churches have pastor installed pastoral leadership. That compared you say 20%, 20% of our African-American congregations wow. have installed pastoral leadership. That number is 50% for majority congregations. That's a problem in and of itself, but it's a disproportionate problem for our communities of color. Mm -hmm. And so what the data is beginning to be used for is to say, how do we take a deep dive? and deconstruct policy that mm -hmm. may have been well-intentioned when it was formed, right. but, but has had differential impacts by race, by gender, mm -hmm. and others who have typically been excluded who aren't in the majority white heterosexual male right. profile. Right. Well, you're, you're naming, I'm thinking, I, I, I want to go to my book of confessions and name all the sins <laughs> that, are, that are in there that are happening. And, and these are sins of, if you could say omission and commission, both. I mean, the racism, the patriarchy, the sexism, um, et cetera, um, heteronormativity. I mean, so, so you were, that's a lot of change. That doesn't sound like hope. <laughs> um, so, where, where, where is the silver lining on this? Let me tell you where the hope is. Um, we are convinced and we will be um, working over the next at least two years with our board on creating a more inclusive, mm. more flexible mm. um, system of benefits. Our goal... Which, you, which you've already done. I mean, in the last four years. I mean, we, there's, a, there's, a, there is so much more flexibility than there ever was 
you know, for but, generations, right? So, but and you're, and you're taking even going farther, we, right? And and we're we're going to need to extend and expand that. Our goal is unabashedly to have every minister ordained by the Presbyterian Church have access to benefits. Amen. And we as a community have not done that. There are structural changes I believe the board can make in the way we conceive of our benefits package, in the choices we give people that will bring more and more of those ministers who have been excluded Mm-hmm. into the fold. And let me tell you why that's important. It's not just I, I know why cuz I'm a member. I know why, but go ahead. <laughs> well, but it's it's not just a theological issue. One, we have a moral obligation to the people we ordain. We right. actually uh mouth those words right. when we ordain people. But let me tell you why it's practically important. The other thing our data shows us is that those who have never received benefits from the board mm-hmm. are 50% more likely to leave ministry altogether mm-hmm. during their first 10 years of ministry. Think first, about wow, wow. think about that. Someone's gone to seminary. They've that's, answered God's call. That's at least three years. <laughs> they, they, they've, they've gone through the inquirer process, the candidate process. They've worked with a CPM. The Presbytery has voted to ordain them. They've Don't been, forget the ordination exams, right? <laughs> they've taken the ordination exams and passed them. And and within 10 years, a 50% higher likelihood that they hang it up altogether and disappear mm-hmm. from the roles of active ministry. Right. Well, people are saying the jobs aren't there, Frank. The You know, I, I can't find the calls. Now, I look on the church leadership connection today. And there's, you know, and actually over uh, December, it, we hit over 700 openings uh, across the country. All of those are different terms of call, of course, but a lot of them living wage um, positions. Uh, and uh, there's a lot out there, but maybe not all in the right places. It's a distribution thing. And, but then there's small churches yep. that are struggling, some rural, some urban, some in suburban, I guess. Well, and and let, let me talk about small churches for a little bit, because um, we've got to get much more creative about mm-hmm. how we create, I'm going to say supply, and mm-hmm. I don't mean stated supply. Mm-hmm. Um, as you know, I am an advocate for ordained pastoral leadership. Right. If, if you if y'all like to read his uh, his doctor ministry thesis on this kind of ecclesiology, um, I would encourage you to do so because you do make this case clearly. <laughs> well, so what 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 is driving our small congregations? And it's not just ours. My thesis looks at uh, a really all mainline uh, U.S. Protestantism. So I, I took into account the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, the Southern Baptists, and the Presbyterians, and um, there are universal patterns, and I've called this the corporate model. Right. A, a corporate model says that each individual entity must have its own budget, mm-hmm. its own employees, and 
it doesn't bring support from inside or outside that corporate circle. So it can only quote, employ or buy what it can afford. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, our, uh, our, our adoption of the corporate model. And by the way, the book of order says, if you're a church and it's legal in your state, you must incorporate. Um, mm -hmm. So we're bought in as a denomination, but, but the corporate model says everybody's budget has to stand on their own. Our mm -hmm. tax code says every employer has to have a separate EIN employer identification number. Mm -hmm. And what that means is as congregations shrink and they try to make it on their own, they have to cut the number of hours. They have to cut staff. They have to, they can't pay for benefits. So they cut mission. They cut, they cut, mission. They cut everything. <laughs> um, the last thing they cut are the utility bills. So they can <laughs> keep the heat on. Right. Um, they'll, they'll live without a pastor before they'll live without the heater. Right. <laughs> um, but we've been doing some experimenting. We've partnered with, uh, we, the Board of Pensions, has partnered with uh, Pittsburgh Presbytery, mm -hmm. and we're running a pilot on what's called shared ministry. Mm -hmm. And we believe shared ministry is not the only solution. In some places, it won't work. But right. it is a solution. And I'll be happy to share a little bit more about that if you'd like. I would I would love to, because I know the goal is, I mean, to have more people fully ordained serving congregations with full benefits. And let me just say, as somebody who has been a benefit member for all my ordained ministry, uh, I'm, I'm eternally grateful. I mean, we're, folks, we're not just talking about a pension, um, which is a defined benefit plan there. We're talking about also the health care and the, which is, physical, mental prescriptions, um, vision, there's all kinds of dimensions to the, to the healthcare program. I, one of my favorite parts is the EAP program where you just pick up the phone and the teledoc program. If you need some prescriptions on somebody who just has a sinus infection or something like that. I mean, this is why uh, it's a healthier option and not just for those individuals. Certainly we want to keep those leaders healthy, but for their families too. And I know there's options where you can just be yourself and not everyone, but this this is uh, this is critical to the future of health of the church. You know, if someone is not healthy, hopefully there have been folks out there on there. The Credo program is another thing that has been a innovation with, within the board and uh, in in the main line. Um, yeah, but looking at sort of the vocational and the physical and the mental and you know financial, all those kind of dimensions of who you are makes you a better leader in the church. Makes the church stronger. Right. That's. And, that's and, the case and, I'll make at least. And, and, and don't forget the assistance program that provides ministerial right. educational debt relief, right. money, money for sabbaticals, right. healthy pastors, healthy congregations, where we um, were in front of 4,000 ruling elders, not just teaching elders, right. um, helping them understand the realities of ministerial economics. Right. Um, and then providing debt relief for ministers up to $10,000 to allow them to get on a firm financial footing uh, with their financial plan. Well, I do want to talk, come back to the pilot program, but yeah, here's my favorite. You haven't mentioned, <laughs> you know what it is, is pathways to renewal. Sure. Renewal, where churches can call young ministers and enroll them in the plans. 
um, benefits and pastor participation at reduced rates. And there's employer and employee um, incentives, financial ones uh, for both. And um, what, what, a, what a visionary kind of work that, and that's been going for five years, five years. Okay. So. Yeah. So through Pathways to Renewal, um, our grants for organizing ministers and evangelists mm -hmm. um, and now shared ministry. Um, over the last five years, we've created over 125 new calls. That's beautiful. Um, some for younger ministers, others are not age restricted. So we've tried to serve a wide range of constituencies. So let's talk about this pilot. Yeah. Pittsburgh Presbyterian, the shared ministry, because it's at the center of your thesis project as well as, as a real possibility for expanding. I um, mean, it answers some of these tough questions about small churches, I think, and, and the need for leadership um, that they have. So, so what, what, what drives the, the shared ministry idea? The, the, the core of it is what does a minister need to flourish? Right. And, um, and I know you looked at Matt Bloom's flourishing, the marks of a flourishing ministry or something. Yes. So yeah, Matt Bloom at Notre Dame is arguably uh, the, the leading academic expert on flourishing in ministry. And there, there are five basic tenets that um, I'm synthesizing, but that come out of a lot of the work he's done. The first is full-time ministry. Our own um, Presbyterian research services have demonstrated that our least satisfied ministers are tent makers. Mm -hmm. um, and that ties to Matt Bloom's argument about authenticity. If you're called by God, if you're seminary trained, if you've gone through the process and now you're ordained and you've got to spend half your time as a barista or a warehouse worker, you're not fulfilling your self-authenticity. Mm -hmm. So full-time ministry is one principle. Uh, but by the way, I want to stop you right there because I wrote this quote down in your thesis that you almost said. It's the work of the gospel, not the work of the warehouse. Right. right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good Love one. <laughs> the, the second thing for flourishing is sufficient compensation. No, Nobody's getting rich being a minister, but you have to have sufficient compensation for your family to survive. The third is um, a denomination or structure that provides support, emotional um and 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 um, administrative support. Fourth, the elimination of debt. Um, this is where had some interesting information. Fidelity did a study of nine thousand Americans. The financial organization Fidelity. Yeah, the that that runs our four hundred three b program, mm -hmm. um, and they shared this with me. Nine thousand Americans. The single greatest producer of happiness, more than a new job, more than a fabulous spouse, more than the birth of a child is getting out of debt. Wow. It is the single happiest moment in most people's lives. And conversely, the greatest stress inducing unhappiest moment is increasing debt. Mm -hmm. um, and so Fidelity shared that with us. And for ministers to flourish, 
they cannot be burdened with debt. We've mm -hmm. got to find a way to get them out of debt. And mm -hmm. finally, um, the fifth element is um, affirming groups that have been excluded in the past. And we've mentioned those earlier in this conversation. Mm -hmm. And shared ministry, let me be clear on what it is. This is not yoked. We're not asking two sessions to come together and act as one. Mm -hmm. It is not two part-time jobs, 15 hours over here and 20 hours over there. Mm -hmm. It is two congregations functioning independently, installing the same person mm -hmm. as a full-time minister. Mm -hmm. And so each congregation must trust the other, that, mm -hmm. that the minister is moving between the congregations, mm -hmm. um, attending to needs. And what we've found, interestingly, in this pilot, congregations are much more sympathetic, knowing, well, someone in the other congregation must be in the hospital. That's why the pastor isn't here, as opposed to well, the pastors at their secular job wonder when they get off tonight. Right. Um, yeah, that's a different, a whole different thing. Yeah. And what this does, the board's contribution is that we're providing benefits um, on a highly subsidized basis to any any um, pair of congregations that will enter into this shared ministry. What does it do for the minister? It meets the requirements I just uh, talked right, about. Right. Full-time ministry, authenticity, um, sufficient compensation because they're each paying what right. now equals a full salary. Um, mm -hmm. Providing needed support of the institution. We It opens them up to our assistance program. We're getting them out of debt. Mm -hmm. um, and we are including people who have been excluded in the past. Um, right. And so the ministers are loving it. Right. The, the congregations are benefiting from full-time ordained pastoral leadership. Well, and the I would think the presbytery too. I mean, you get, yes. you know, um, I mean, if you're a part-time minister, word of sacrament, or Christian lay pastor, what have you, it's probably, it's more difficult to, to serve, you know, presbytery, larger governing body, and the general assembly and, you know, whatever else, synod, what have you. And, and before we run out of time, you just mentioned right. commissioned lay pastors or commissioned ruling elders. Um, that That's also got to be a part of this discussion. How do we bring mm -hmm. them into um, much more fuller access to uh, the benefits program? Right now, only about 10 percent mm -hmm. are enrolled in our programs. Mm -hmm. And again, as a church, as a as a moral obligation. Um, we've got to find a, a way to do better. And the board is looking deeply at, have we put up barriers inadvertently that are excluding people? So we're, we're in the barrier destroying business right now. Well, I appreciate you leaning into this. And on behalf of the church, it's, it's, and I think it will make a difference right now. This is only in Pittsburgh Presbytery, but they're Potentially, this this program could expand. Is that what I'm hearing? We are in conversation with another presbytery, and we are looking at all of the pro the pilots you and I just mentioned, the mm -hmm. evangelism grants, the mm -hmm. pathways to renewal, and exploring how 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 do we take those 
nationwide. They may have to change form a little bit, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we're trying to take our learnings from those yeah. programs and create a much more sustainable supply for small churches. Well, I appreciate you taking that time to learn. And other folks who are out there who, who are experimenting other ways or you have insights, I'm sure the board would welcome your call. The people who serve on the board of the Board of Pensions and, and its leaders, senior leadership, including Frank, I've always found extremely receptive and real partners in ministry. What a gift you are. And I know yeah, our time is running out way too fast. I just want to say it's not nearly enough. Thank you so much. And please thank the board for the visionary work you're doing and have been doing and continue to do going forward. It's not just good for the church. It's also good for the community. And it's also good uh, for uh, the, our church financially. All those three that are part of your call, keep it up. All our prayers are with you. I'd love um, in just a moment, uh, if you would uh, bless and send us on our way, any other last comments you might say, but let me invite everyone. Would you be willing to do that, Frank? Absolutely. Great. Um, I want to invite folks to subscribe and review our podcast. This is our first show. You're my first guest here in 2023. Thanks for being here. I'm glad you're here. My next show will be January 25th, Asa Lee, uh, the president from the other side of, of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and Pittsburgh Theological Seminary will be with me as my guest. And um, coming up this spring, you can look for uh, both William Wu and Raj Nadella. Um, Raj is working on some post-colonial Bible stuff. William Wu, this book. Have you read his newest book uh, about Presbyterians and facing I, up to? I, I have not had a chance to get through that well, one yet. I've, I've not gotten there yet, but I encourage you to. It's, 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 it's just amazing. Uh, Jenny Warner, a pastor in California, will be talking about leading strategically and spiritually, a real gift. I hope you'll join us for those uh, shows coming up. Um, but thanks again, Frank. Uh, please bless and send us. Sure. Let, let me just say uh, th this role has been so fulfilling, being able to serve those who have answered God's call. And that's what we get up every morning here at the board thinking about. Um, join me in prayer if you would. Holy One, we thank you for this time together. You hallow all time. You make the sun rise, the sun set, the moon and the stars. You create the time in which we labor. We labor to serve you. We labor to serve our siblings. We labor to, labor to serve Christ's church. We mm. thank you for those opportunities and would ask that you bless our work so that our work may be a blessing to others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you again, uh, Dr. Spencer and everyone. Thanks for being here today. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Blessings on your way. Thank you.